guys. <laughs> I have been through an ordeal over the past couple of weeks. And uh, thank you guys for all of your prayers. Um, most of you may know, but some of you may not know. Um, I had, uh, had a couple of places taken off of my back last week. And it got infected. Both of those places got infected, so they had to go in and rip those stitches out. With no um, numbing whatsoever. And they had to squeeze the infection out with their fingers. And so uh, <laughs> that's, that's all the detail I'm giving on that. If you want the, the more detail, you can talk to me later. But um, so now I don't have any stitches, but I have these open wounds and Tammy has to pack them twice a day and, and all that stuff. So uh, thank you for your prayers. I'm, I'm on the mend. I'm, I'm moving in the right direction now, but I'm just not 100%. So is it okay if I sit some today? You know, it was customary in biblical times that uh, the teacher would sit down and everybody listening would stand up. So feel free to stand if you like. <laughs> hey, there was something cool that happened this week. This doesn't have anything whatsoever to do with my message, but, but I think it's a good lesson. For those of you that are basketball fans and you follow the college basketball thing, you've probably heard, even if you're not big basketball fans, that a 16 seed beat a number one seed uh, this weekend. Unfortunately, unfortunately, Chris, that number one seed was Purdue. So, um, but here, here's the weird thing about that. The tournament went to where they had, they'd have four different regions and they'd have 16 teams in each region. Of course, the number one seed is, according to the season, is the best team in that region. And the 16th seed is the worst team in that region. And so they play each other. That's the way seedings work in, in tournaments. Um, so the number one seed would play the number 16 seed. And I think it's 84 or 85 when they went to that system. And for many, many years, a 16 seed never beat a one seed. There were a lot of close games. There were some games where people got nervous, but it... It never happened until 2018. Now, from 1985 to 2018 is however many years, what is that, 40-something year? Math is not my, my subject. But that's a long time <laughs> that that never happened. And in 2018, um, UMBC, what is it, University of Maryland Baltimore College, I think is is what it stands for. They were a 16 seed. Nobody had ever heard of them. And they came in and they beat the overall number one seed of that year, which was Virginia. And of course, that was the talk. Everybody was like, oh, it finally happened. It finally happened. It finally happened. And uh, I actually wrote about that in, in my book and also in a blog back in 2019. I wrote about that. And in the, the blog and the book, I made the prediction that it would happen again in five years or less. That was in 2018. And, and we missed one tournament in the midst of that because they didn't even have the tournament in 2020. 
Now, why do I bring that up? It is to brag? No, it's not to brag, but it's, it's to make a point. <laughs> the reason I made that prediction, that it would happen again, even though it was 40-plus years before it happened the first time, it would happen again in five years or less, is because UMBC took the lid off. They took the lid off. Nobody believed it could happen. They talk about it. Oh, that may happen one day, but it's not happening this year. You know, nobody, even in those close games, it was like, oh, no, we're a number, we're a number 16 seed. This, this can't happen. There was that mental block there. But once UMBC took that away, made it more believable. And that's why I, I, I was confident. Now, I was getting nervous because this is the fifth year, but I was going to use as my excuse, it's only the fourth tournament, right? Because <laughs> we didn't have it in 2020. You all familiar with the story of Roger Bannister? Roger Bannister back in, I think it was 53 or 54, was the first guy to break the four-minute mile in running. And before he did it, some people were saying, can't be done. Human body can't achieve that. And Roger Bannister finally broke it. The weird thing about it is, this is, this is 1953 or 54, just a few months after that, somebody else broke it. And the following year, there were several people that broke it. And now, I wouldn't call it a common thing, but there's, there's been hundreds of people to break the four-minute mile. Now, did people just all of a sudden get dramatically faster and stronger? I don't think so. Roger Bannister took the lid off. And when he took the lid off, people realized maybe this can't happen. I mean, obviously, he just did it. There's a lot we can learn from that. Whether you're a racing fan or a college basketball fan or you're not a fan of sports at all, there is a principle in that that all of us can learn from. And that is if we take that lid off, there are no limits. There are no limits. We can do what other people said can't be done when we mentally get past those lids that keep us where we are. You know, they say an elephant, when it's a baby elephant, that you could tie that elephant up with a rope. And, you know, once it gets to the length of that, that rope, it won't go any further because it can. It's just a little elephant. But as that elephant grows, they keep that rope tied to that elephant and of course, you know, as a grown elephant, it could snap that rope just like that. But they don't because they've been trained that that is their limit. That's as far as they can go. Now, you may look at an elephant and go, wow, what a dumb animal. Listen, we do the same thing. We do the same thing. Once we get to a place where we go, oh, this is my limit, then we just accept that and we live with that. And so I encourage you. Take that lid off. Take that lid off and go, go find those new limits. And once you find those, do what you can in order to break those as well. All right? That's just something I had to share because I am, I am <laughs> very motivated. Even though physically I'm not 100%, I've been very motivated um, since that because I think it's just, it's a lesson in human psychology what we can do and what we can't do. And oftentimes what we think we can do, 
can be done. While other people are going, that can't be done, somebody out there is doing it. So, all right. <laughs> the awesome power of vision. We want to look at this again today, and we're looking at, you know, maintaining harmony in my home, my small group, and my church. We've been looking at this verse from Proverbs 29, 18, which is a powerful, powerful verse. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Some versions say the people are without restraint. They don't have any direction. They don't have anywhere to go. You know, they, um, they did a, a little test with what is called processionary caterpillars. And they're so called because they follow each other. And they, they had a group of processionary caterpillars one time and they lined them up in a circle. It's kind of mean, right? They lined them up in a circle and they put a little pile of pine needles in the middle of that circle, which is the processionary caterpillar's favorite food. And they just continued to march around in circles until they eventually died from starvation and exhaustion with their favorite food just inches away. Now, what is that? And that's activity without production. And when we don't have a vision, that's what happens. You know, it's not like, oh, I don't, I don't have a vision for the future. I'm just going to lay on the couch. Now, some people do that. But then there's other people that are extremely busy. They're good people. They are, uh, you know, they add value to the society in which they live. But they haven't caught the vision. And maybe, maybe you've heard some people and, and they've talked about, you know, their vision is retirement. I'm just working for retirement. You know, I would encourage you to, to set up a, a stronger vision than that. Okay, retirement is... Now, listen, I'm a 51-year-old guy talking about retirement. I understand that some of you are older than I am and, and have different perspectives on that. But I will tell you that in my 20s, some of the things that I said back then, people said, you know, when you're in your 40s, you'll change your mind. Some things I did, some things I didn't. But I, I don't... Listen, some of the greatest things that's ever been accomplished have been accomplished by people that were in what we would refer to as their golden years. Colonel Sanders. Y'all realize that Colonel Sanders, Kentucky Fried Chicken guy, was a real guy, right? Um, my dad actually worked for him when my dad was a teenager. Um, we lived just one town over from, from where the first Kentucky Fried Chicken uh, began. And you realize he was, like, he was like 68 when he finally got his secret recipe of 11 herbs and spices um, out to the public and, and became this, this name kind of thing. And you know, what if he would have said, you know, I'm just working to retirement. I'm just working for retirement. He had a vision. Now, I think there's even a higher vision than making sure that the whole world gets to eat chicken. <laughs> but it, Kentucky Fried Chicken, there you go. But at least that's better than just having a vision of, when can I stop working? When can I stop? We've got to have a vision of where we're going and what we're doing. And, and, and that's what we've been talking about. And within a church within an organization, within a home, within a small group, any, anywhere where there's multiple people, 
the enemy of vision is division. If we're, if we're trying to work toward a vision together, the enemy of that is division. Because when he creates that division, we lose sight of where we're going and what we're doing. You see it in sports, you see it in businesses, you see it in churches, you see it everywhere. When we lose that vision, we begin to have chaos and people without restraint. And, and sometimes the organization will literally perish, it will die because of that division. So we want to look at today, how do we maintain that harmony? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3 says, be eager and strive earnestly to guard and keep the harmony and oneness of the Spirit in the binding power of peace. We want to guard and keep that harmony and oneness of Spirit. And, and you know, we talked last week about, you know, making every effort to keep that unity. Because division comes so easily. It will, it will, you don't have to work for division. It will come by default. Okay? You have to work toward vision. Very seldom does vision just come without us, you know, working toward it. But division will come pretty easily unless we are guarding against it. And I believe the antidote to division and conflict is harmony. To have that harmony uh, with each other. But in order to preserve that harmony, sometimes we have to have a shift in our thinking. And that's what I want to look at this morning, is four shifts that we need to make in order to maintain harmony. And the first shift is to shift from judgment to curiosity. Now, what do I mean by curiosity? We know what judgment means. You know, we're ready to jump on the... Uh, the bandwagon to say, oh, they're doing this or they're doing that. And we, we have all this judgments or we see somebody do something. We go, why are they doing that? Aren't they smarter than that? We are quick to judge. That's our natural default. What do I mean by curiosity? Maybe sometimes instead of judging, it might be good to just be curious. In other words, find out more information. What's the reason you're feeling this way? What made you say that? Where are you coming from? Be legitimately curious instead of just, why are you acting like that? Listen, we all have times when we act ways that are not good. And typically, it's because something is happening in our lives that's not good and it puts us in a different state so when I'm like that I appreciate it when somebody shows me a little grace and they become more curious than they are judgmental now I'm not one of these people that says we should never judge there are proper way to judge situations and sins and 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 stuff like that according to the bible there's a proper way to approach people in that we do everything in love not out of hate not out of trying to winning win an argument or, or anything like that but we want to be slow to judge let's be curious first first corinthians chapter 4 verse 5 says, so don't get ahead of the master and jump to conclusions with your judgments before all the evidence 
is in. Be careful about jumping to conclusions. Because that's our natural default. Instead, be curious. Dig in deeper with the situation. Reserve judgment until you know the facts and the whole story. Because sometimes once you learn the facts and the whole story, it kind of puts you in a little different perspective. And here's one more thing I'll leave you with before we go to the next one. Assume the best in people. Don't assume the worst. Usually when we hear something or we, we see somebody do something and, and we, we begin to judge their motives when we don't have any idea what their motives are. Assume the best in people. Now, if they overwhelmingly prove you otherwise, then, you know, accept that. But until you get that information, assume the best in people. Make that shift from judgment to curiosity. Second shift we need to make. Shift from being defensive to sensitive. Because our natural instinct, again, is to be defensive. If somebody comes at us, what do we do? We want to fight right back. Well, this is the reason I did that. or This is the reason I said that. And we want to be careful about that. Don't, don't be so quick to try to defend yourself. Instead, be sensitive to the reason that they're approaching you that way. What's going on? Again, it goes back to that curiosity thing. But, but just be, be sensitive to people. And also, um, you know, there's... Everybody doesn't have the same experience as you. But oftentimes we expect people to think and see things the same way we do because of our experience. But not everybody has that. Be sensitive to that. Not everybody is at the maturity level that you are. Be sensitive to that. Not everybody is going to see Scripture exactly like you do. Be sensitive to that, especially those that are young in the faith. We do not, we do not under any circumstances want to be the reason that somebody young in the faith decided to leave. We want to be the reason that they, they get deeper into it. A ghost just walked through our door. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was creepy, and now the drums are going to play, I bet. Um, so just be sensitive toward people. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says, Finally, everyone must live in harmony. Be sympathetic. Love each other. Have compassion and be humble. Be sensitive and sympathetic toward other people. Third shift we need to make is to shift from freedom to love. Now you're, now you're going, tell me what are you talking about? Freedom this is America. You don't shift out of freedom. Freedom is something we cherish, we hold on to, we, we grasp. That's, that's a value of our, of our nation, of our society. What are you talking about? Shifting from freedom to love. Listen, just because you have the freedom to do something or the right to do something doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. 
And we got to be careful with that. And Paul addresses this in different places throughout the scripture, talking about meat sacrificed to idols. And he says, you have the freedom to eat anything. It's not a sin to eat this stuff. But when you're loving other people, there may be times that you restrain from doing that because of the effect it might have on somebody else, especially somebody young in the faith. You know, we, we like to talk a lot about our rights and very little about our responsibilities. With freedom comes a price. And if we abuse freedom, it can become a negative thing and become destructive. So we want to shift from just focusing on our freedom and focusing on love. Loving people. One person put it this way, limit my freedom out of love. Yes, we have freedom. We have freedom in Christ. But we want other people to have that freedom in Christ as well. And sometimes the way that we act can help put them in bondage. So let's make that shift from freedom to love. 1 Corinthians 10, 24 says, Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. Some translations say, Don't be concerned only for your own good, but for the good of others. Which is probably a better translation. Because it doesn't mean, you know, you never take care of yourself. You've probably heard the illustration on, on a plane. When you're on a plane, and if you've got young kids with you, and they say, if the masks come down... They tell you to put the mask on yourself first before you put it on the child. Why? Because you can't help that child if you're passed out, right? You've got to help yourself first in order to help others. And, and it's, that's a good principle in life as well. You've got to help yourself first. But the, the purpose of helping of your, yourself is not to end there. It's so that you're better equipped to be able to help others. And so we want to not just be concerned about our own good, but we want to be concerned about the good of others. I used to tell my kids when they were little, maybe I should tell them that more now, but when they were little, I used to say, you know, if you get up in the morning and all day the last person you think of is you, you've had a good day. You've had a good day. That doesn't mean we should never think of ourselves like I said before. Y'all remember the old acronym they used to use of the word joy? Anybody remember that? If you want to have joy, it goes in this order. Jesus, others, you. Jesus, others, you. Yeah, it doesn't mean you're out of the picture. It just means that we put other people's <laughs> needs above our own. And then the last shift that we need to make in order to maintain harmony is to shift from pride to humility from pride to humility Philippians 2 3 says when you do things do not let selfishness or pride be your guide instead be humble and give more honor to others than to yourselves sometimes the biggest arguments and the biggest fights come more from this than anything it's pride even when we realize we're wrong, we don't want to admit we're wrong, do we? <laughs> and so we have this, this stuff inside of us, and eventually we blow up. 
And, and if we let conflict and division and that type of stuff fester long enough, we will blow up because we try to keep it contained. And you can't contain that. We have to deal with that. And, and one of the best ways to deal with that is to look at these four shifts that we've talked about here, especially with the pride that we may have. Because when we're under pressure, the true us comes out, doesn't it? You know, I've got a little illustration here. Anybody know what this is? It's a tube of toothpaste. Now, when this tube of toothpaste is under pressure, I'm not going to squeeze it, but if it's under pressure, what comes out? Toothpaste. Unless you put something else in there. What if you filled it with jello? Under pressure, would toothpaste come out? No, it'd be jello. That would be cool, wouldn't it? <laughs> put some chocolate pudding in there, you know? I, I'd look more forward to brushing my teeth every day if chocolate pudding came out of the... Whatever's in there, when it's under pressure, comes out. And you know what? I, people are a lot like that. It's what's already in here that really comes out when you're under pressure. If you are a kind, gentle, loving person, then under pressure, you know what? You're going to be more of a kind, gentle, loving person. That's just going to be squeezed out of you. If you're a mean, decisive, angry person and you're under pressure, the meanness and the divisiveness and the anger is just going to come out. So choose what's inside you. What's inside you? Make those shifts. Let's look at this. We're going to look at these one more time before we close. Make that shift from judgment to curiosity from being defensive to being more sensitive from freedom to love and from pride to humility let's pray God we thank you we thank you for our church we thank you for our families we thank you for our nation God we uh we sometimes have division. We sometimes have disharmony. And that's just part of it as people. Anytime you get people together, you're going to have some of that. But God, I pray that you be with us in the midst of that, whether it's in our church or in our home, in our small group, in our jobs or, or volunteer organizations, whatever it may be, dear God, I pray that when that comes up, that we make these shifts from judgment to curiosity, from uh, freedom to love, from being defensive to being more sensitive, and from pride to humility. And God, we pray for your direction in doing this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.